There's economic stress. Anybody feel the economic stress? On the top of that, there is stress that still lingers from the pandemic. There's stress over the direction of our country. And there is stress about our children and dealing with issues in modern education. We're in a time of uncertainty. Somebody say a time of uncertainty. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 states that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. The Bible states that and then the poetry of the list that follows this declaration describes the different seasons and facets of life in a beautiful way. The chapter continues that there is a time to be born, but there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time of silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. In other words, a bad facet answers each good facet in life. The writer's reminding us that in life, it's basically a roller coaster ride. You may have a good day, but certainly a bad day at some point is sure to surface. But on the flip side, you may have a bad day, but just know that good days are on the horizon. The writer here is telling us that although there are good times, there are good seasons and moments in life, that the bad cannot and will not be escaped. I'm here to tell you that if you live long enough, if you experience life long enough, you will quickly find out that times and seasons change. Times and seasons change. It isn't always easy. Can I get an amen? But then just as quickly in this same chapter, we are given a glimmer of hope by the writer in seeing our great God as the master of time, the master of time. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 declares, he has made everything beautiful in its time. There may be chaos, there may be anxiety and fear in our day. But I'm here to declare that he is still the master of this time. We may see darkness and we may see fear, but God can transform that and make everything that we're experiencing beautiful. So whatever you're going through in your life in this moment, whatever you're facing right now, no matter how dark or how dim it is, God can take that situation and make it beautiful. Come on, that's something to worship the Lord about. That's something to be thankful for. Come on, your family may be falling apart, but that's okay. God's going to make it beautiful. You may be in bad health, but that's all right. God can take that and make it beautiful. He's the great restorationist. He can restore anything. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 can declare this. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 
We are persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but not destroyed. In other words, we can get knocked down, but I'm not going to be knocked out. Why? Because he's still God. He's still on the throne. And he is still performing the miraculous in this, our time. In this time of uncertainty, this day is a day of victory. A day of victory. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got the victory. Look at your other neighbor and say, I've got the victory. Now ask them, did you mean that? Did you mean it? So I'm asking you, did you mean that today? We've got victory over fear and anxiety. We've got victory over guilt and condemnation. Victory over sins, vices of the enemy, struggles, depression, attacks on the mind. Victory for our families, victory for our church. Now is that time. I'm trying to convince you today that today is the day of victory. This hour is the hour of victory. Come on, it's not a time to cry and complain, but it's a time to rejoice in the Lord. It's a time for gladness, not sadness. It's time to turn that frown upside down. It's time to be excited about what God can do in the church and in our families. By faith, we have got to set that standard in this hour because when we choose victory, our victories, yours and mine, have consequence. Have consequence. Now, oftentimes, we, we use the word consequence with a negative connotation. Well, that was just the consequence of his actions. He got what he deserved. But consequence can be a, a positive thing. And I'm talking in a positive sense. There's consequence to your victory. Consequence is defined as this, a result or an effect of an action or condition. So our victories, your victory, my victory, the victories in our church, in our families, they have an effect in the moment. They have a positive effect in the moment that we experience that victory, certainly. But our victories, understand this, and this is my point today, our victories reach much further than just this moment. The battles that we win today, the battles that we win in our life in this moment, in this time of darkness, reach much further than this hour, reach much further than this day and this year. And now is the time for that victory. Now is the time for that victory. When young David walked onto the battlefield, he was just a shepherd boy, but he couldn't believe his ears. He couldn't believe his eyes as he watched everyone else in hiding. But he couldn't believe that Goliath, the giant, could stand there and say the things that he was saying. Goliath stood and voiced defiance to the people of Israel and to the God of Israel. Goliath stood and he said, why do you line up to me to battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? In other words, I'm better than you. So what business have you on the battlefield with me? I'm bigger. I'm stronger. It doesn't matter who you say your God is. It doesn't matter what your, what your lineage is. I have the, the armor. I've got the training. I've got the skills to defeat you on this battlefield. You don't even belong here with me. So he cried out, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he can fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. So Goliath saying, if you can defeat me, 
You can defeat me here. We will serve you. Now, that is a confident bet, isn't it? I don't think he's planning on losing the fight. But he says, if I overcome him and kill him, whoever that warrior may be, you will then become our subjects. You will then serve us. He said, this day, today, this day of war and battle, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. When King Saul heard this, when the warriors of Israel heard this, they hid in fear in their tents. They wanted nothing to do with this fight. But in the moment, the young shepherd boy, David, he saw an opportunity on that battlefield. He understood that it was a time and a season of victory. So the Bible tells us that David took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Goliath looked David up and down, sized him up, and said, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? He was insulted by David's choice of weaponry. He was insulted that Israel would send out just a boy to fight against him. He deserved a greater warrior. Goliath then began to curse David. He began to curse God. But David answered with faith, you come against me with sword and spear. You come against me with javelin. But I, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Because, you see, David understood that his help, his strength wasn't in his, his own ability. His strength wasn't because he had visited the gym a few days a week leading up to this fight. No, his ability, his strength was in God and God alone. So understand this, when you face an enemy, when you come up against a fight, it's not by your strength, it's not by your might or your power, but it's in the God that's backing you up. So David understood this, and he reached into his bag, and taking out a stone, he began to spin it around on his hand. He slung it and struck the Philistine directly in the middle of the forehead. And in that moment, David experienced victory over the Philistine with only a sling and just a stone. The enemy there on that battlefield that was backing Goliath up, they saw that their hero was dead, and they turned and the rest of them ran away. The men of Israel surged forward with a shout of victory. The Bible says they pursued the Philistines all the way back to their gate. As Goliath stood in this moment on this battlefield, as he defied God and his armies, the environment indicated one thing. The environment, the time, and the season indicated defeat. It, it indicated that we don't have a chance in this fight. It indicated that, that all our hope is lost. But David, David understood the moment was right, the time was right for victory. Let me tell you that it doesn't matter what your surroundings suggest. You can have the victory. Whatever that giant is in your life, it may be a, a health giant, maybe cancer. 
It may be a bad report from the doctor. That's a giant in your life. It may be sin. Maybe it's a struggle that you face over and over, week after week. Maybe it's in the quietness of your home that that voice comes back of temptation. It draws you back into it again. That's a giant in your life. Maybe it's a financial giant, and you are just trying to make ends meet, but you are struggling left and right in this economy. That's a giant in your life. But don't hide in fear. Don't cower at the words of that giant, at the threats that it calls out to you in the quietness in the middle of the night. Be like David. The Bible says that as the giant called to him, as he threatened him, David ran to the giant. He didn't stay there, but he pursued after that voice of defeat, of dissent and and threatenings. He ran to that voice and he defeated the giant. David's victory in that moment had an effect. David's victory in that moment, the armies of Israel, King Saul enjoyed the fruits of that victory in that very moment. But do you know that David's victory would have a far-reaching consequence, even beyond that exact battle? Our opening text, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 4 through 7, tells of another Israelite victory over Philistine giants. The Bible says, now it happened afterward that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines, at which time Sibekai, the Hushathatite, killed Sippai, who was one of the giant, and they were subdued. The Bible says again, there was war with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, killed Lamai, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, giant after giant, battle after battle, where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot, and he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. Now what's interesting about this victory is that it shows to us that Israel could now slay giants without David. David was not present at this battle. If you read it, he was nowhere near this battlefield. The men who were now fighting these giants were probably some of the same men that were hiding at the previous battle. Some of the same men that as they saw that giant Goliath calling out to them that they hid in fear. But now on this battlefield, they stood with a different purpose. They stood with a renewed confidence in facing this giant. They could not turn around and look to their leader, David, and say, what should we do? David wasn't there. David did not have his hands gripping a sword. He was not present at this battle. These men accomplished this victory when David was finished fighting giants. You see, David's legacy lay not only in the victory that he accomplished in that singular moment against Goliath. That wasn't his greatest legacy. But his greatest legacy and accomplishment was in what he left behind. And that was a people prepared for victory. David's triumphs were not only meaningful for himself. They were not only meaningful for that moment. But they were meaningful for others who learned victory through his example. David's victory 
had a consequence. David's victory was far-reaching. In the same chapter, after talking about his men defeating these giants, the verse ends like this, 1 Chronicles 20, verse number 8 reads this way. These were born to the giant and Gath. These were descendants of Goliath. And the Bible says, and they fell, this battlefield, these giants, by who? The hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David was not present on that battlefield. David may not have been there that day, but I'm here to tell you that David's fingerprints were all over it. The defeat of these four giants can rightly be credited to the hand of David and to the hand of his servants because David had a role in this victory. How? Through his example, through his guidance, and through David's influence. David left the blueprint. Every victory, no matter how great or how small church, has a reaching consequence. Through every battle that we win, every time we choose to fight, we are deciding to leave a legacy. We are making up in our mind that we're going to get out the pen and the paper and we're going to leave a blueprint on how to do this. As mentioned in the beginning, life is filled with times. Life is filled with seasons. There is an ebb and a flow to life and our battles. There's nothing new under the sun. It's like a boxer. If you read boxers who, uh, or professional boxers who fight and win, win many battles, they win a battle and then they move on to a new opponent. And they've never fought this opponent before, but they'll tell you that as the fight goes on, that boxer begins to pull memories and lessons from past fights. They, they look for tendencies that they, that they saw in a previous victory. The boxer looks for and identifies familiar movements and familiar tendencies so that they can then adjust and adapt to the battle. I'm here to tell you and encourage us in this hour in 2022 Amid all that we're facing, all the questions and uncertainties, that we're facing battles today that generations before us already overcame. Come on, there's nothing new to this fight. There's nothing new to this spiritual warfare. This has always been here. The Bible tells us that immediately following the crucifixion of Jesus, that the spirit of Antichrist began to work in the world. This isn't a new spirit. This is not a new thing. But we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that serve as our examples. And we're winning battles today every time we fight that future generations are then going to depend on us for. That's why we've got to keep fighting. That's why we've got to surge forward. That's why we've got to have a positive outlook. We've got to keep pressing towards the mark of victory. Because our victory, your victory, yours and mine, this church and our families has a far-reaching consequence. Come on, am I putting you to sleep today? You tired of hearing that you can win a battle? Are you so accustomed to going home and losing every week that getting excited about victory just ain't there anymore? Have you prayed a prayer far too long that you've given up? You say, I hear what you're saying up there, but you don't know that I hadn't had my answer. I'm here to tell you that you can experience victory today. Come on, I don't care what you faced on the way in here. 
I don't care what your doctor told you last week. I don't care that you're running out of your prescription. You got to go pick it up again on Monday. God can heal you today so you don't even need it. You may be looking at me today and say, yeah, but you don't know what my kid was doing last Friday. He's lost. He can be saved by the far-reaching hand of God from this service. We've got to get rid of this defeatist mentality. Stop sitting around and saying, I'm defeated. I can't fight anymore. If we'll get just a little bit of backbone, we can win some battles in this church. Come on, I wish I had a few people that wanted to fight. I wish I had a few people that wanted to pray. I wish I had a few people that wanted to worship again. Come on, I'm going to keep talking about victory. I'm not tired of it, and I'm not shying away from it. It's an hour of darkness and fear, but this is the hour to experience victory. Come on, somebody needs to get that in your spirit. Somebody needs to stand up for your family and say, I will fight. I will believe. And victory has an immediate impact. If you're tired of dead and dull services, maybe you need to get the victory. If you're tired of hearing your neighbor snore behind you, maybe you need to get the victory. The Bible tells us that as Paul and Silas were in prison, about midnight they began to sing and praise God. About midnight, everybody else was tired. Everybody else was in chains in that prison too. But about midnight, they began to sing and they began to praise. They didn't worry about what the person in the next cell was doing. They didn't worry about their circumstance or their situation. They decided that the time and the season was right for victory. And guess what? We're using it as an example today, but it had an immediate impact because the Bible says when the Spirit of God moved into that jail cell, the foundations begin to quake. Not only did their chains fall off, but the neighboring cell, their chains fell off. And then everybody was converted. Everybody was baptized. Everybody was filled with the Holy Ghost because somebody decided to sing and have the victory. Your decision today, your victory could have a consequence for your neighbor. Your victory could have a consequence for that person behind you. And let me tell you this, every victory, somebody say every victory. Every victory makes an impact no matter the scope or the size of that victory. Big victory. I was healed from cancer. That's a big victory. Big victory. I used to be addicted to drugs. I used to be addicted to pornography. I used to be addicted to this and that. I was going to commit suicide, but God pulled me out of that. That's a big victory. That's a big testimony. And we're all familiar with a ripple effect. This is a simple illustration, so forgive me. Big stones, you throw it in the water, it makes a splash. But take this small stone, take this small, this small little rock here. If I threw it in a body of water, if I took a still lake and I threw it in there, the ripple effect will go far beyond the immediate impact, no matter how big or how small the rock is. So I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter how small in your eyes that that victory is. You are making an impact. 
There's a ripple effect that's taking place every time. So you may think, you may think, well, it's just faithfulness. It's just coming to church when I don't feel like it. It's just a small stone. But guess what? That impacts having a ripple effect. Because later on down the road when times are tough in your kid's life, when times are tough, they're going to look back and they're going to say, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I remember mom and dad and how they did it. I remember grandma and grandpa and how they did it. Times were tough, but they believed God and they stayed faithful. It may not seem like much in the moment, but you're making an impact. And that victory, that victory is going to have a consequence. It may not seem like much when you take that small amount of money and drop it in the offering plate. But every time your kids see you do it and they know how tough it is at home, they know it's tough for you to turn the lights on. They know it's tough for you to afford food throughout the week. And maybe, maybe you couldn't afford back to school clothes, but they said, but I remember mom and dad giving money in the offering plate. So guess what? Later on down the road, when they're facing that same giant, when they're facing that same struggle, there's a blueprint. There's a blueprint. So don't discount small victories. Don't discount small winnings and battles because everyone that you have has a consequence. Somebody give God some praise. Now, we have confidence in victory. We have confidence no matter the battle ahead of us. You can be confident today. You can be a little arrogant about it today. You can be a little cocky about it today. David, on the battlefield, was a little arrogant. He wasn't afraid. He was confident. He wasn't shaking in fear. He didn't walk out there saying, I hope this turns out okay. Gosh, I hope I can back my talk up. I hope I can, you know, write, you know, write the check that my body's trying to cash. I hope I can do this thing. No, David walked out with the utmost confidence that he could do it. Those men that walked on the battlefield years after he defeated that giant, they understood they could do it. We can have confidence. Somebody say, I'm confident. We're not confident because of our own ability. We're not confident in our own might. We're not confident in our own power. But we are confident in his spirit. We can come against every giant, every situation, say, I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. We're confident. Because we serve an eternal God who transcends all time and all seasons and facets of life. God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. We may watch the news and say, I can't believe that is happening in our world. I can't believe this is going on. I can't believe this is transpiring. God is never like that. God never stands from his throne and goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that happened. You're never going to go to God and say, God, I've got bad news. I'm struggling with this. He's not going to say, you are kidding me. That's not how God operates. God has existed. Our minds can't comprehend. He existed before time. He will exist after time. He's not confined to our space, our world, our, our solar system. He transcends all that. 
So that problem that will happen tomorrow that you haven't experienced, God is already in Monday. God is already in next Wednesday. God is already in next Friday. He already knows what's going to happen. He's already experienced it. He's already there. That doctor's visit that's looming, you don't know what the answer is going to be, but God is already in the waiting room. He's already heard the report. It's no surprise to him. When Job in the Old Testament was faced with his trial, and he's wallowing around and he's, 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 he's just disappointed and he's frustrated and his friends has turned, have turned their backs on him and his wife has gone crazy and, and everything's just out of control. He's lost his, his children, he's lost his money, he's lost his home, he's lost everything. The time and the season did not feel and seem victorious. And as he's sitting there in his disappointment, as he's as he's sitting there in his frustration, in his fear, God speaks up and he says this to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations Fastened, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, Job, I've been around the block a time or two. So who are you to think that this is a new issue? Who are you to think that this is a new problem? I've been here long before you, and I will be here beyond your existence. So understand, no matter what you go through, you may be sitting there in your own self-pity today, but God is saying to you, I've been here before. I've seen all this before. This is not new to me. So if you'll have a little confidence, if you'll stand and be ready to fight, I can back you up because I know how to win. There's a blueprint that has already been laid out. If you'll just look around, the instruction manual is right here. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll make the decision to do that, your family will reap the benefits. Your church will experience the consequence of your victory. All you've got to do is make the decision in this moment that I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be defeated. But I'm going to stand my back may be against the wall. I'm going to stand up straight. I'm going to pursue the enemy. And I'm going to have the victory in this, my time. Come on, these altars are open. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, your victory can have a consequence in this service. Your victory can have a consequence that reaches far beyond your understanding. Come on, somebody choose today. Somebody choose this moment. Come on, somebody be tired of being afraid. Somebody be tired of being silent. Come on, that's it. Break free in victory. Look that giant in the face. Pursue it right now in Jesus' name. Come on, we can't do it for you. We can't do it for you. You got to choose it. And there's a consequence. 
Amen, because God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, and if we're in a battle, we've never been there before, don't have the blueprint, maybe somebody else has a blueprint. Maybe they've been in a battle like that. Amen, we can bind together and learn from them. Amen, because we're all in this together, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rogers, for that message, that word today. Amen. It's going to have an impact today, but not just today, but tomorrow, next week, and next year, in the future. Amen. Keep those victory waves moving forward. Amen. And we're going to see what God has to do. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. Amen. Be sure, remember, we have bread if you want some Panera bread. We also, I think we have some leftover McDonald's from yesterday. You want to grab a couple dozen uh, biscuits, sandwiches.